I'm Wilson Lai. Oh, we're I'm Benjamin. Yeah, we're really okay. <laughs> Wait, what? What's our bit for showing up? Look at us showing up to do a podcast episode for the hey. first time. Perfect. And I'm Eli Sands. <laughs> You're listening to Deep Cut. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to. Today, we are coming back to do another upkeep episode with a Deep Cut director that we've had since season one, if you realize we have seasons. Wow. I think this was back in, what, episode four? Yeah, super early on. (laughs) But... Miss Kelly Reichardt has come back with another film. We missed you, Kelly. 2022's showing up. And Eli saw this for the first time last year. And me and Wilson have only more recently seen it. But we're really excited to come talk about it. Agreed. And talk yeah. about Reichardt's work again. Yeah. Can't wait. Before we dive into this movie, be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and leave us a comment on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. That's how more people can discover the show. And you can also join our Discord server, which is very lively. And we have a really nice community on there. So come say hi. So this is Showing Up, which is Kelly Records' eighth feature. And she's been making features since 1994's River of Grass, which I have not seen and we have not talked mm-hmm. about. And previously, we talked about Old Joy and yes. First Cow. And now we're going to talk about Showing Up, which is her follow-up to First Cow, which is actually her teaming up with Michelle Williams again, who she's worked with, I think, four times now. And that's really incredible director-actor partnership that's really yeah. quite under the radar, but it's been going on for a while. So the film's about Michelle Williamson's character, Lizzie, who is an artist. She makes clay sculptures of people, and she's in an arts college where her landlord is a fellow artist played by Hong Chao called Joe, who is more successful than her and is not fixing her water heater. Mm. And they're both preparing for art shows, and that's really the entire film. And also they're taking after a bird. That is the whole film. (laughs) What do you guys think about the movie? Well, I saw it in the fall of 2022 at the New York Film Festival that year. It was the one movie that I saw at that year's festival, and it was such a good choice. I've been waiting to place it atop my 2023 favorites list for a long time. Really gentle, compassionate movie. And it's the kind of thing where I was wondering, even in that year and change since I first saw it, is it going to hold up? But revisiting it, just looking at Michelle Williams' face, I remembered Like, I remembered why it's so special. There's something in her expression that is a kind of compression of the movie's care and humor. And yeah, it just is really light on its feet. I I adore this one. What's it about the film that you love? There's a real kindness to this movie that is not naive or simple. It is jaded in a sense, but ultimately open to connections between people. And I find that a really optimistic 
and pleasant viewing experience. That's a good overview answer to your question, Ben. And I think as we go more into it, we'll pick up on specific mm-hmm. moments and stylistic things that right. construct that deep kind of kindness. Mm-hmm. It works in an Eric Romare kind of way to me, too. Yeah, sure. Mm. I think so. Stylistically as well. Yeah, I agree with you. When I saw it, it's really quite a small movie. So it's not really yeah. a movie that's going to blow you away. And I think that's also not what it's trying to do. It's not trying to blow you away. It's really trying to capture a very specific time and kind of people, art school people. Yes. Art school students, teachers, administrators, and people doing art, I guess, in Portland. And I think in that respect, it's very successful in creating a little world of itself Mm. and the people within it. And they all feel very lived in. Even shots of random students, they feel like people and you can kind of like see who they are. I love Michelle Williams' performance of this. She almost feels unrecognizable. Mm. I think she has a wig on. And she has this permanent frown on her face yeah. and they put her in these drab clothes and she is just this curmudgeon yeah. type of character. But she's also an artist. And there's something really interesting because I was not expecting the character to be that way when I was going into it because I didn't watch any trailers mm. going into it. And it's really difficult to put a character like that in the middle of your film, mm. especially a film that is so slow and so observational and hope that she is sympathetic enough for the audience to follow her and not get too annoyed with her because she's really grumpy she is Mm. (laughs) and yet she is sort of the perfect kelly reichardt main character yeah she is apparently very much like kelly reichardt herself Mm -hmm. i see (laughs) it's apparently what i'm hearing when i'm reading like what people are saying like at least her sense of humor the way that the kinds of things that she says that are funny to kelly i think (laughs) when she's like making these situations Mm. and i think my main takeaway was thinking about the way that the film is structured because it's really quite simple. And in my letterbox review, I talk about the bird and I'm really impressed that this bird was so important to the film. (laughs) I thought it was going to be a random thing. And then the bird is really the plot of the film, which I think is really fascinating and interesting to do that, which is a huge Mm -hmm. gambit to be like, yeah, this is a film about two people taking care of a pigeon. Also, there are people. (laughs) That's the film. And I'm like, wait, what? This is your pitch? How do you make that interesting? And... I think she just succeeded because she's creating that world and all those different characters. And this central relationship between Joe and Lizzie, which is very lived in and specific and not at all like a saccharine kind of like friendship, but something that's quite prickly and strange, but with a sort of mutual respect between the two characters. Yeah. I find that very interesting. And mm-hmm. Agreed. I don't think you really see that elsewhere. No. That I can think of right now. Fran yeah. Hoffner describes this as... A genre of cinema called I'm Always Mad at My One Friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it works. <laughs> what do you think, Wilson? I I love this film. I think, well, after Eli saw it at New York Film Festival last year, I think I had really, really high hopes going in. But also after, like, having read his review, I was expecting something really small and really light, which it is. But I do think we're sort of downplaying the amount of chaos that Mm -hmm. I guess Lizzie sort of invites into her own life, (laughs) which I think Mm. is something that I can like relate to (laughs) as someone who like wants to create art, but also is just like, I need to live my life. Like, Mm. and life stuff is important. Mm -hmm. Like 
as Ben said in his review, right? Like life stuff is not supposed to be that important sometimes, but it is important yeah. because you're just, you have to live and you have to like provide yeah. for yourself. Yeah. So like Lizzie has to do all these things. And also, I think it also proves that compassion is such a core part of like our human like nature, right? Like she can't, mm. like even, <laughs> even after her cat scratches the bird in the middle of the night and then she like throws the bird out the next day when confronted with the fact of the, of this injured <sighs> bird by Joe, like she feels, of course she feels guilty. I would feel guilty, but then <laughs> yeah. she, she decides to take it upon herself <laughs> to care for this bird and help this bird get back to full health what i'm trying to say is i related a lot to lizzie and the struggles mm. that she had and also i guess the non-celebrated triumph of of sharing a work of art which i think mm. was a really funny and interesting way to end the movie yeah mm. not talking about the bird itself but i think about like how everyone was really happy that she was showing her work at the end yeah. and mm. she was just like worried about other things in her life yeah and she was still very grumpy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and not seeing the good thing that's happening in front of her the this community that she's brought together yes mm. exactly and i think under this lovely surface there is this massive grump which i thought was great i i like i really liked it i think i feel like old joy still beats it in terms of my reichardt ranking mm. but it is such a lovely film and to think that michelle williams was in this and also the fablemans that same year oh yeah just is just really like two like powerhouse performances but just going in in very very different directions completely opposite exactly what a shame it is that her oscar campaign for the fablemans was totally flubbed and then they delayed the release of showing up to give her an awards shot for the next year and now it's going to be completely forgotten for the oscars this year yeah it's kind of a shame you know it's like she has two incredible completely different performances and neither is going to get recognized by the major awards mm. show in the yeah. u.s i will say though like it was interesting you bring up old joy which i think it's it's an interesting and also really difficult work to access yeah but i think about the craft and showing up and like i think the maturity there is very apparent yeah mm. like like you know that reichardt is a really seasoned filmmaker watching this because this is a very simply shot thing, but like the edit is very good. Yeah. And it's very hard to put my finger on it. The way that scenes kind of start and stop. It's intentional. Yeah. And like the way it cuts from like when it does like simple shot, reverse shot, it's very intentional and it's like the right cut. Yeah. Every time the timing is always right. Yeah. Kelly, right cut. And scenes that never feel too long. And I think the general rhythm of the film is very well put together, mm -hmm. right? Even though it's just kind of just daily life kind of rhythm yeah. it never falls into a monotonous pace mm. even though she is living a life of somewhat monotony you know what i'm trying to say here i do yeah yeah but i i feel like i need to like look at it much more closely to figure out what she's doing but i feel it's like a very intuitive thing that's happening where it just feels right the way that's edited i want to add another sort of meta-narrative angle onto how we understand the pacing of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think that this movie has a pretty rare conjoining of craft and thematic focus, where mm. if the text of the movie is so much about this solo pursuit within a collaborative context and the ways in which 
even if we want to pursue an individual craft, we rely on the people around us or that craft is informed by the people around us. Mm. When I was doing research on Kelly Reichardt's process of making this movie, that type of look at creating art in its really pragmatic day-to-day functioning is very similar to Kelly Reichardt's process. Mm. So, Ben, as you're talking about the mature directing style, Reichardt and cinematographer Christopher Blauvelt, they make a shot list and they plan things out, but when they get to the set, they completely throw it away. And they go off Mm. of how the actors behave in the space to create their shots spontaneously. Mm. So one is that this decision that is classically up to the director is something that Kelly Reichardt leads the charge on and makes ultimately the final decision, but is very informed by cinematographer and actors. And that feels matched to the investigation of Lizzie's. Mm. creative style as well Mm. and then similarly in terms of finding the cut timing which i agree is kind of just always perfect Mm -hmm. and the editor is kelly reichardt just to say exactly (laughs) yes yes she spends a day in the edit and cuts everything and then her assistant editor ben mercer comes in and in her words cleans things up he also drops sound in so that she can listen to what she's edited the next day in a fuller kind of sonic way. And I think that's so interesting, too. There's so much to talk about with sound in this movie. And crucially, she shares her cut with two people at most. She names one of the people, and it is, guess who? Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes! Yes. Buddies. (laughs) She says that he always tells her to vary the pace. She talks about looking back at night moves and seeing it being just too consistent. And she can hear Todd Haynes in her head saying, break it up, break it up, Mm -hmm. according to this interview with Movie Notebook. I need the variety directors and directors between these two. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I want. That would be too precious. They're not going to give it to me. The film world would explode. (laughs) In all, one of the really special things about this movie to me is its match of process, on-screen craft, and thematic Mm. focus of this question that Wilson is highlighting. What does it take to live an art-making life? Yeah, Mm -hmm. And it looks at that very earnestly and sincerely, just as it's made very earnestly and sincerely. Mm. Yeah. I think when I think about the thematics of the film, it's very purposefully trying to equate the importance of getting my water heater working and also making the art. Yeah, right. By virtue of the amount of time it spends on both things. Like she talks about this water heater constantly. She's asking and telling everybody she has no hot water. It is so important (laughs) to her. And I think that is so interesting because when she goes with that show, it's not a triumphant feeling at the show. No. The show is not even the star of the show. Like the art is barely the star of the show. The star of the show is the pigeon. Yeah. Right. Because everybody has a collective like whoa moment when the pigeon gets free in the gallery and then they walk out like it's like a performance piece and then they watch her brother just release the pigeon Mm. and that's like more important than the art in that moment and i find it so fascinating because the way that it's almost like it's trying to tell you that the art making yes it's important to her but it's also kind of as important as all the breathing and living and eating and whatever that is part of life. And 
I think something about that makes it feel like it makes artists feel less special, which sounds like a bad thing to say, but I think it's a good thing that artists are just kind of like people. Yeah. And artwork is just like work. Yeah. It's just work. And you're just doing stuff because, because either you do it for money or you do it because you need to do it because it's just something you have to get out of your system or whatever it is. Right. And yeah, the fact that she's such a grump and she's doing this art is like, this is a very interesting counterpoint. And I feel like there's so many narratives, right? You see so many portraits of artists where, like, mm. it's like, oh, my God, I, like, have to devote my life to my work. Like, <laughs> fuck my family. <laughs> fuck my kids. They don't matter. They don't matter. All that matters yeah. is the paintings I'm going to make, the the film I'm going to direct, whatever. The, 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 the scores I'm going to conduct. Yeah, <laughs> fucking maestro, <laughs> man. <laughs> Lydia, <laughs> not even, not even. Oh, Lydia Tar. Yes, yes. I thought we were gonna bash my Maestro, which I haven't even seen. Um, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. But they're both, they're both accurate references. Uh, right, right. But I'm like that. I don't think that. Well, I hope that's mm. not an accurate portrayal of most artists because you can't really. Yeah. To be an artist is also to be human, right? And to be human, yeah. you gotta possess all these qualities. Or mm-hmm. else you, you don't really make art that's relatable. Yeah. And I think, like, a beautiful example of that, like, I did bring it up earlier, but I do think that day where Joe has to install her show and she mm. hands the pigeon in the box to Lizzie, who took a day <laughs> off of work to work on her own work because her show is going up as well. She's she's working on her sculptures. And multiple times in the day, she has to stop working to bring this pigeon to the vet like everyone was questioning her why are you bringing a pigeon to a vet like i think it's just like why yes i don't understand either (laughs) but for her it's something that she feels like she's compelled to do over the art that she makes maybe she's procrastinating who knows i don't know but it's a human thing it's like a human quality i think about how lizzie's art is the only artwork of the major characters that is of human figures and that feels like a a telling kind of key to the movie to me that essential to who she is is her care for other people and yes for bird as well Mm. that if there's this need to get by and need to function and have hot water and get things done and work and do your job which lizzie finds so grump inducing then underneath that is her want to create. Mm-hmm. And then underneath that to me is this care for other people and things. Mm. Those are the three primary layers to Lizzie for me. It's beautiful. It's such a, it's just such an incredibly layered character. Yeah. And I think as we're talking about it, like it impresses me even more. I think about how like she's almost this person who wants to help people, but it's not going to do it like genuinely in a weird way. She's going to be like, mm. I'm going to help you. I'm not happy about it, but she's still helping you. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like using the helping other people to like maintain this grumpy attitude, but she is compelled to help people, which is a very interesting way to characterize a person. And mm. I can imagine a person like that actually. Yeah. Not specifically, but I can imagine a person functioning like that, like that they think of the people that they feel responsible for or feel a duty to as kind of like burdens Mm. and 
that's not necessarily a bad way of looking at things. It's just the way that they look at things. And it doesn't mean they're not helping people, but yeah. it does mean that they're a little grumpy. So yeah. I think there's something kind of interesting about that kind of characterization. And Joe is similar because Joe mm. is also very layered because she is actually very sweet and warm. Yeah. Like from yeah. the trailer, you think that Joe is going to be an asshole, but she's really not. Ah. Like she's the one who's like, oh, sweet bird, and she's taking care of it. Right. But she's actually a very sweet and warm person. And she really does care about Lizzie's work. And she really mm. thinks it's great. Like, I think when Hong Chao plays Joe, I really genuinely believe her when she's like, oh, that's awesome. That looks amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so that's really also very layered. And they're kind of a great pairing. They are. Which, not really sure if they're like, I would say, like, friends on yeah. paper, but they are friends. <laughs> <laughs> In my Letterboxd review, I did refer to them as foils for each other. But I do think it works. Yeah. They could be foils and friends for each other. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It would be so easy to make either of them unlikable or unredeemable or to narratively punish them for the things that are maybe not so generous about them in in different ways. Mm. But again, the movie chooses to look at the compassion that is within them and focus on that and reward them for that and end the whole movie with them walking off together. Mm-hmm. Mm. It feels way too simple for Reichardt to do something like that. Like, I don't know, mm. make an evil character. Like, I feel like it's not. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. It's yeah. not in her bones to yeah. do that. Yeah. I love Hong Chao's performance. I think she's, like, fantastic. Yeah. And I think with Williams, it's something that, like, I can expect. Like, I can expect a really lived-in, like, really great performance. But I think with Hong Chao, like, that the whale performance is just, like, ass. Sorry. Um well, it's like, it's, I guess <laughs> I it's not seen. the nice part of the ass in like an ass movie. It's like, but it's still like ass. <laughs> like, what are you saying? <laughs> Running this metaphor into the ground. <laughs> Which part is the nice part of the ass? Like the cheeks. I don't know. <laughs> in your opinion. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on from this, <laughs> this metaphor. Um, <laughs> She's great in driveways, though. She is. She is incredible in Andrew Ahn's driveways. And I think I was just hoping for another great nuanced performance from her. And this really gives her that. And it's some Mm -hmm. it's a type of character that I've never really seen her play on screen before. Like, it's such a she's so full of energy. And like the moment that you see her like bounce into frame, like the first time she's like rolling a tire, like it's such a Mm. physical energetic performance. And that also is reflected in the art that she makes. Right. Like, I feel like I, I was talking about this a little bit in my letterbox review, but both of them, it's such a physical performance like that's needed from both Michelle Williams and Hong Chao and Mm -hmm. Hong sort of like loud and out there and moving a lot. And Michelle Williams is sort of like small and quiet and slouching, slouching. Slouching. And it sort of reflects their characters, but it also reflects the art that they make, right? Like the the size of the art that they make, the way that they approach Mm -hmm. making that art. Like I love that sequence where we see Joe in her studio, like sort of climbing over styrofoam, like wrapping it around in coil. It's just such, Mm. such energy put into that. And I think it's just, these are portraits of true artists. And I think that is something so beautiful to see and genuine to see when there's so many other like artists biopic movies that are so 
like I think they care about the art that they make, but they don't really actually investigate these artists and their relationship to their artwork mm-hmm. in a way that Reichardt does without even having to like talk us through it. She just like it just clicks in her mind and it clicks visually or like it clicks in a story mm. way but no one has to say it no one has to talk about it they don't intellectualize their art yeah it would also be so tempting to punch down at artists and people who make art or like laugh at them or be critical of them and there are movies that do that and are anywhere from fine to intolerable mm. but Again, Reichardt is not choosing that. She's choosing to look at how is this life lived. That's really interesting what you're saying, Wilson, because you're comparing it to artist biopics, and obviously this isn't a biopic. This is just two fictional characters making art. Mm. And there's a lot of films about art making. And the biopics are an interesting comparison because biopics about people who make art are very much always interested in how did this person end up making this art? Yeah. Mm. Like what life event? Even Spielberg's own biopic about himself is about that. Mm. Good point. Yeah. Right? He's like, okay, this is what made me and this is why I make these kinds of movies, which is almost very reductive. Whereas like with these two characters, it's much more like, oh, this art is just an expression of their person or personality or like mm. something like that. It's not really like this event happened and that causes the art to be this. Because art doesn't have to have that kind of import or have that kind of history or that kind of backstory. Art is just expression. Right. And it can be very simple. It doesn't have to be intellectualized at all. So I, I find that quite interesting to, to think about. I'm not sure why I'm bringing this up at this juncture, but I think one of the top most important moments in the movie to me is when Lizzie sees Joe's installation for the first time. I love that moment. Privately goes into the room where it's installed and we just stay on Lizzie's face looking at the art. And Michelle Williams does the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest movements of her face. And you see the admiration. And yes, a little bit of jealousy. (laughs) But the respect underlying it. That is a real revealing moment. It's very private. And that shows why this life is something that these characters want to live to me. I think Reichardt and Raymond are really good at just figure out these like micro life things. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. They do it in Old Joy. They do it in First Cow. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. I guess Wendy and Lucy as well. I would say there's that too. Wendy yeah. and Lucy is much sadder, but actually all of the films are really about those small things. And I think she's so good at making the small things significant and highlighting those small things because I think a lot of filmmaking is very big. A lot of filmmaking is about big moments in people's lives. And as much as that is true, that that's kind of more escapist filmmaking, which is nothing wrong with that, right? But with Reichardt, she's kind of doing the, I guess, the opposite of escapist filmmaking, more like escaping into the lives of others rather than like a larger than life life of others. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, but I find that maybe more comforting watching somebody make art that's not so-called hugely successful, especially when... I guess I'm also trying to make art of my own. Mm. And there's something more inspiring about that than seeing like, I don't know, a Van Gogh biopic or something. Yeah. 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 Let me, let me ask actually, I know that this movie makes me think about kind of the balance between making my own art and living a practical functioning life. Yeah. To pitch a very broad question, like how do you, does anything about Lizzie's life 
map onto how you guys balance art and work and community and whatnot? I think so. I think what maps onto what I think about art making is... I mean, what I'm jealous about is I wish I was in a community like that, a physical community, because she's mm. surrounded by artists, which is invigorating, which is much more difficult for me, I think, to cultivate. Mm. But I think the idea that art making is something that can be, that can live alongside a career that's not really in the arts, because she's just an administrator. She's not really like a teacher, for example, mm. in that school. It's really interesting. And I don't want to say inspiring necessarily, but it kind of is a model of a kind of artist. And I have met people like that who are just making stuff, you know? It could be like little things you make to sell. And that is still art. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's always amazing to meet people who are doing art just on the side. And I'm not necessarily trying to, say, make a name for themselves, but are just doing it because it's kind of part of them. And I don't know if that's me necessarily, but I wish it was. Mm -hmm. And I hope it, it can be me, like that I can make that art making almost feel habitual or necessary. And yeah. she's not famous, but you know, at least Lizzie is extremely disciplined about her art. Like she right. makes time for it. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I think I feel similarly to Ben. I do feel like there was like a sort of jealousy that I have. Yeah. Because you look at the kids or like the, the students at this art school and you're like, oh my God, isn't this incredible that they're like able to express themselves and just try out all these different forms of art, like these really cool forms of art and surround themselves with like-minded people and have that be like their life and i feel like even though lizzie works an admin job she's still surrounded by all these artists and it like ostensibly is in this art community mm -hmm. and i think that's something that i like still seek but i still do creative work and i think like it doesn't align with the the current like nine to five job that i do like i think her professional work her job and her art making is more like parallel to each other whereas mine are sort of like in different directions but it's something like ben is like i feel like i'm aspiring to mm. to reach that sort of stage in life and in art making with a certain kind of balance i guess between like exactly the life stuff and the, the art stuff yeah yeah i was looking at this interview you have this link for on reverse shot about the kind of casual collaboration. Oh, Eli. yeah, I love that passage. Yeah. Go for it. It's just this conversation between the interviewer and Reichardt and about how the way that they talk about each other's work is actually very casual. It's just like, it's cool, it's awesome. And I think about how, like, the most fulfilling parts of art making is that when I'm looking at other people's work or, like, watching them work through it or when I'm working on something and sharing it with somebody else. Yeah. And even though the art is not made yet, when you get excited about a friend's process or yes. vice versa is like one of the most amazing the best. things like i love hearing about somebody's thing i'm like oh my god that is incredible i love that totally the best like you're gonna get there hopefully but like this thing is really interesting to me and i think those things are really rewarding in my personal life yeah or when i share things to people and they tell me that's interesting i'm like oh that's like validation i guess but yeah. oh. also you need that kind of thing to keep going because art making can be a very lonely process depending on the art and even filmmaking like writing is a very lonely process mm. And having people around you for that process is important. So even though, for example, Lizzie's art is her just making pottery, but the people around her do sustain her and keep her going. Yeah. No matter how much they annoy her, like they are keeping her going. So, yeah. Yeah. And she herself keeps herself going. Like, I think mm -hmm. that you can sort of see her, like, I think... Reichardt does something with contrasting her and her dad who mm. used to 
be a potter i guess i, I think it's mm-hmm. sort of relate to us that he has yeah. given it up like he she goes into his yard house and they, they you see all the work that he's done prior and mm-hmm. she asks him about whether he would return to it but he says no no i'm com- i'm content i don't need to do this anymore and i think she gets sort of annoyed at that statement that he makes mm. because i think she she believes that art making is like a lifelong thing mm. and he Oh, played by Judd Hirsch, who is also yeah. so many connections to the Spielberg movie. Oh, true. I didn't yeah. think about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he obviously has other um, priorities in life, mm. a.k.a. his two his two house guests. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird little detail in this film. Like, what is going yeah. on? I love that part. Oh, my God. Feet up on the couch. <laughs> feet prominently in frame. Like in the bottom <laughs> yeah. or left of the frame. Their feet. Oh my God. That's yeah. another thing about the movie that works so well is that there are all these little situations that are just perfectly designed to peeve Lizzie. Mm. And when she walks into a scene and her brother, played by John Magaro, is, for example, digging a giant hole in his backyard, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, Lizzie's going to hate this. And yeah. waiting to see michelle williams reaction to it it's a fun build-up and also like like how he goes missing and she's panicking yeah and he just shows up dirty and ragged he just shows up and it's like kind of even more annoying that he just shows up (laughs) like oh you're not dead you just didn't answer your goddamn phone (laughs) you're filthy and you're eating all the cheese at my gallery showing yeah And it's so funny because two scenes prior, she's worried about having too much cheese out. Yeah. Too much cheese? <laughs> she can be so annoying, but you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, such, it's, it's really a very funny movie without, without picking on artists. It'd be so yeah. easy to... We're about to talk about May, December, and the way that the actor character in that movie talks about her art is so obnoxious. Oh, my God. <laughs> but... This quotation that Ben brings in from her verse shot is so useful. This line, the green stockings on the statue are very cool. That it's not mm. this intellectual unpacking of why the green yeah. stockings. And it's just, mm. they're cool. It's like a nice thing and you react to it. And that's what forms the bond. That's art, man. That's art. <laughs> Rule of cool. That's art. For real. Art's cool. That's art. Art school? Art's oh. cool. <laughs> that's very art. Good. Puns are art. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the score also. It oh, perfectly encapsulates oh yeah. how gentle it feels. Fucking Andre 3000 on the, on on the, the flute, flute, man. <laughs> yeah. And now he has this flute album. Good for him. Oh my God. It's really good yeah. too. What came first? Definitely this. I think that album would not exist without this. Right. Yes. I wonder if Kelly Reichert's on his special thanks in the album. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking the exact same oh. question. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly, for letting me flute around. I was also referring to Ethan Rose's little do 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 like gentle, mm. like boppy synth score. Yeah. So nice. Yes. Yes. As a yes. very last thing, why do you think it's called showing up? Because I still don't oh, know. It's I mean it's so simple to me. Art is about showing up every day. That's it. Mm. That's, that's it. it. That, yep. That's what I understand. Yep. Yeah. You just that's go it. show up every day and then you're good. That's great. Yeah, I thought it was about showing up to your friends' shows, but it's oh. <laughs> also I mean, okay. it could be both. It could be both. It is both, I guess. They all showed up to her show. Show yeah. wing up. Birds have wings. There's a bird in the movie. Yeah. Its wing is broken. Bro. Bro. 
But how come she doesn't show Pixar's up in this film? <laughs> <laughs> That's a missed opportunity. Right, all the characters gather around in the gallery, crying at the first 10 minutes of up. <laughs> yeah, I am very happy we got to talk about this. And I'm looking forward to always to the next record film. Totally agreed. Hopefully soon. Give her more money. A24, come on. Give her yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> Give her time. Honestly, fuck A24 for not, like, for not... Burying this one. Really? Like, for burying... Yeah. yeah. What the fuck, man? You produced this movie, right? They didn't even... They didn't pick it up. They produced this movie. I think so. I think they did. This is a movie that they put money into. And then why don't you put money into promoting this marketing, movie? Why yeah. don't you... Marketing. Putting it out into more theaters. Like, I don't know, pushing it when it went into streaming. What the fuck is happening? My hunch is that they were already, by this time last year, intending to do what they are now doing of moving into, like, the $50 million budget range and focusing oh. on fewer small projects. They're bulking up and trying to get IP going with mm. Alex Garland posting cringe yet again in his new <laughs> Civil War movie. Jesus Christ. What else are they doing? Death Stranding. Oh, yeah, they're doing Death Stranding. Oh, shit, dude. What the fuck? But, like, what a mess, man. Yeah. I I don't know. I feel like they did do... They did put their money or their talk behind other small films last year. And this year. I don't know. It's just strange that Reichardt's films have just constantly been battered by poor marketing. Yeah. You know, she's yeah, made yeah. great movies across her entire career. Interesting movies. And we just don't see, like, masses seeing them because they're just not... I guess they're not easy to market, which is true. But I'm sure the appetite for these films in America can be increased for sure. For because sure. they are very American films. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> she's still showing up. She's still making the movies. And that's what I love about her. And we will be showing up to all her future movies. Oh, yeah. Will. Somebody please goddamn screen these things in the theater. I need to watch them in the theater. Please. Oh, my God. Oh, man. It's so worth it. Yeah. International distribution. What's up with that? That being said, you can find showing up on VOD right now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. And be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when our next episode drops. You can keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at Deep Cut Pod, and join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Deep Cut is hosted, produced, and edited by us, Wilson, Ben, and Eli, and our cover art is designed by Justina Yam, and our theme song is composed by Eli Sands. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Beautiful. Peace out.